right, everybody, welcome back to Surviving the Suck. This is a special show today because I hit a milestone. We've got ourselves an actual professional, somebody that knows the outside of our system instead of what we're dealing with on the inside. Somebody that might actually be able to help us with our struggle. And let me just not stumble around too long and introduce Carrie Leaf. How are you to do, doing today, Carrie? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I'm actually really, really excited myself. I've been waiting a long time to have somebody. And I'm glad, <laughs> believe me, people, this has not been the easiest connection to make. We've actually <laughs> had a lot of rescheduling to do. So I'm so glad we've actually gotten the opportunity this time. Yes, me too. All right, so let's just start off. Why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Okay. So, um, born and raised in Iowa, Central Iowa. Um, I did my undergrad in psychology, my master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, I went out to New York for my master's and was out there for a while. And I am back here in Iowa, in Des Moines, Iowa now, back in the Midwest. Um, so that's professionally, um, I've, I've done, since grad school, I've, I've worked in community mental health. I've worked in residential treatment centers. I've worked in substance abuse treatment centers. I've worked on military base um, Camp Dodge here in Des Moines. Um, I've done, I'm in private practice now and, you know, worked with individuals, couples, families, all ages, you know, little, little kids to however old, all ages. So, um, that's me professionally, um, married to two twin toddler boys. They're three going on four here soon. Um, and two boxer dogs. So, and they're both males too. So I got a house full of males and then me. So <laughs> that's me. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, that's a lot to handle right there. We've we got um, a lot going on, yeah. <laughs> all right, so um, with the questions, I'm going to preface this with my, my wonderful, my wonderful, ugh, wonderful girlfriend, Lindsay, wrote all of these questions to keep me on track. So I will hit as many of them as I can, and we'll start with this one. Um, could you, um, is self-sabotage generally, a, would you consider that like a coping mechanism um, to help us kind of control, control what we have in our life going on? Because I know a lot of, I know a lot of people with trauma issues tend to self-sabotage. Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, my answer, I, w I, I wouldn't want anybody to take it as like, end all be all this is just going to be what I see you know um, personally professionally clinically in my practice but I'm, I'm sure that self-sabotage could be a lot of different things but most of the time we're not immediately consciously aware when we're self-sabotaging um, it's it's a pattern it's a subconscious pattern we've created based on a self a, a subconscious belief system um, that has developed over our lifetime. So these patterns that keep happening in our life, if we can pay attention to them, we'll usually find some kind of self-sabotage there in and around it. And then when we can identify the pattern, 
we can then take the next step and dive in deeper and identify the negative belief system that might be leading us to doing those actions that we're calling self-sabotage. So um, this is kind of based around cognitive behavioral therapy with the idea that our thoughts, so, you know, that negative belief system I'm talking about, our thoughts lead to how we feel, lead to what we do. And a lot of us like to think we know why we do what we do and who we are, but so many of us are walking around just kind of sleepwalking through this life and and on autopilot and, and letting the subconscious, you know, run us, which it will if we don't bring that conscious and make active conscious decisions of how we're going to operate in our lives. That is actually a really, a really good answer. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You're making me contemplate things about myself. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, all right. So um, would you recommend generally for for most people, and I'm obviously there's differences between, ugh, in severity, I'm going to stumble all over my words, all over all this whole thing. Um, That's all right. So, We're human. Uh, there's going to be, you know, variations with severity of trauma issues and such. But would you recommend more of like a, a holistic approach or a, a pharmaceutical or? And couldn't you tell us kind of the difference? Yes, I personally and professionally like to take a holistic approach, but that doesn't necessarily excluding medications. It means that if I can avoid them, I'm going to. But like you said, with different levels and issues of levels of severity or what people have going on, sometimes it's just, it, it, it's where we got to take a medication, whether it's a crutch to get through while we're working on healing the inside out, or if it's long-term, just because we're all individuals, so we're going to require different things. Um, so when a client works with me, I'm going to see where they're at with things, symptoms, and how they're functioning in life. And if they can wait three to six months to avoid taking medications, I'm going to see if we can't get them thinking and feeling and living differently in those three to six months and then reevaluate um, if they're able to put it off that long. Now, if somebody is in bed, can't get up, can't go to work, isn't functioning, we don't have that kind of time. And we might need to use medications, um, you know, really quickly so that we can at least get that person up and, and functioning in their day to day. Um, and when I say I take a holistic approach, I'm, I'm trying to look at mind, body, spirit all around in the healing process and taking care of every area as organically as we possibly can. Um, so yes, that's, that's a very, it's a very individualized um, approach as to whether meds or no meds, but I will always take a holistic approach looking at mind, body, and spirit with everybody. I know I've noticed with myself, um, I have a PTSD and a TBI. And I've noticed with myself, like the TBI itself, because it's an actual physical bruising on the brain. Um, I've noticed that when I was before I started medication, I was a lot more short fused and it was harder to control. And I mean, I still have issues with the TBI itself, but as far as like the um, mental control and the fuse, it's gotten a lot better with the medication. But as far as my like my triggers and things for my PTSD, it's been 
purely like I guess I'm trying to figure out how to, how to say it. I would I do actions to distract myself. So it's it's not so much the medication keeping me from having my triggers. It's I've had to figure out ways to control those triggers themselves. Yes, absolutely. So like, I think, you know, TBI is that example of that, that would be out my out of my um, scope of practice. And that is where I would say, like, you've definitely got to talk to a professional that this is within their scope. And if they say meds, they say meds, you know, that's, that's what they their career is. in. and I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's helped you. And even if it was a, a psych med, you know, for um, depression, anxiety, anything like that, even if if somebody is on meds, that is not the golden ticket that doesn't that that helps with the symptoms absolutely hopefully or or, you know there's no point in taking it if it doesn't help with the symptoms but if you are on a psych med if you're not taking the actions to dig in and get to know yourself and work on your thought process and like you said work on some behavioral things then you're never going to get better you're just going to keep covering up the symptoms and then at some point those medications might not work you know so we want to hit it from every angle wraparound services absolutely um i know i have a few friends that actually uh try this one and it's actually a really good question it's about emdr so um can you describe how emdr works um and can it be used for specific trauma issues or just it's kind of a general thing um and oh yeah yeah does it like have any identifiable triggers that could be treated with that so emdr that is my bread and butter it has changed my life my practice it's it's huge um you had a handful of questions in there so now i'm not gonna know remember them all i'll break break it down a little bit more simple than that all right so is it more of a um how does it work and is it more for like a general trauma issue or is it for like specific things okay let yeah let me start there um so EMDR, I am going to say it very, I guess not your, I'm not going to use the neuroscience language. I'm going to make, you know, use a language that just makes sense to me and, and probably most people that doesn't get too psychobabble. But um, EMDR, you can use it. it. It was first known and best studied for uh, combat PTSD for combat soldiers. And now they've seen that we can use it for like pretty much everything. I use it for trauma. I, I, and you can take trauma, that word with a grain of salt, you know, there's big T's, there's little T's we call them. So, um, it doesn't have to be trauma, um, as severe as some people might think, but I use it for trauma. I use it for anxiety. I use it for depression. I use it for self-esteem. I use it for so many things across the board. Um, so EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And so it is talking about some of the things or it's working on some of the things that I was just talking about, like negative belief systems um, and identifying those and reprocessing them. So the idea behind EMDR is if we got a problem, let's say it's... um, let's say it's anxiety and we can start our our treatment out focusing on anxiety and then we're going to want to dig down and identify the negative belief behind that anxiety where is this anxiety coming from what what belief system is creating that what's underneath that and so a common one for anxiety might be a a belief system around something like i'm not in control that's a pretty common one um 
for other uh, just examples of other common belief systems. Um, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I can't succeed. There's something wrong with me and on and on. But those are just ideas of negative beliefs that we um, that we develop throughout our lives. And like I said, it can be from one big event or many small events that happen throughout our lives. But then it snowballs. It might it might initially develop when we're like, say, seven or eight years old. And then it snowballs through more and more life experiences because what we think we feel and we end up doing. Right. So part of it is snowballs because we already have that belief system. Um, and part of it, it just snowballs because of life. You know, life throws things at us. Well, right. And so the then the idea behind EMDR is that we want to identify that negative belief system and then we're going to pick a positive belief system that we would like to believe instead so let's go back to if it's i'm not in control we want to believe something like i am now in control now with that one i really make it clear with my clients there are so many things in life that we are not in control of. That one we're saying, I am now in control of myself, my thoughts, my emotions, you know, regulating that kind of thing. I'm in control of myself. Um, and so with the eye, eye movement desensitization reprocessing part, the theory is that we, you know, when you sleep, your eyes move back and forth. If you've ever watched someone sleep, I know that sounds creepy, but their eyes move back and forth. Um, and that's what we want to tap into. We want to tap into that subconscious state of mind and through life experiences, memories, we can access that subconscious state of mind and kind of shut down the everyday mental chatter that we have in our brains that we're aware of and tap into these memories and access those feelings and give the brain access to those memories and experiences to let it heal itself, to let it reprocess those memories, detach from the negative associations that it that it created at that time because of whatever was going on in our life. Maybe it was too painful. Maybe we were too young, so our brain wasn't developed enough to process it. We internalize things a lot more when we're younger. And then if in, in present day, if we give the brain access to those memories and, and those feelings, then it will heal itself and reprocess those and associate associate those memories with healthier adult brain thinking patterns. So you don't you don't clear out, you don't like wipe away memories or anything like that, but you recreate them, you rewrite them, you rewire. It's neuroplasticity. The brain can can create new new neural networks, and that is incredible and fascinating. And it's you know kind of behind the idea that we 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 script out our own life to some degree, you know? Um, and that again leads into whether we self-sabotage or not. Are we operating subconsciously or consciously? And so that was a lot right there, but that is, that's, oh, no, that was, that was <laughs> so what you, it's, it's like, um, our memories generate generally are kind of more of a perspective. So depending yes. on what our perspective was at that date and time, be it yes. maturity or whatever else it could, could change now by yes, going think back about to the situation. 
Absolutely. Like think about it like you have um, siblings that grow up in the same household and can have totally different outlooks and experiences on on their parents or what happened in that house. I know that one from experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whether it was like the age they were at. So the, you know, maybe a five years old brain saw it one way and the, you know, the nine year old brain saw it another or just that they had different um, personalities and, and perspectives or, you know, like people, two people could be in a car wreck and then one really struggles to get over it and the other one barely phases them, right? It's all oh, yeah. what what we associate with that experience, what, what we attach to it. I've actually seen that in combat veterans a lot is some of them will take it and they'll be, they'll be absolutely fine and others are just a train wreck over something simple. Yes, exactly. Um, so pretty much anybody, really, if you think about it, there are people with super minor traumas that could benefit from EMDR, honestly, because everybody's got their little thing that they're, they're hung up on that kind of holds them back. Yes. It's so funny. You know, we'll go through a timeline of events um, in people's lives when we, when we do EMDR and people will always say, I, I feel so silly, like that this memory is even making it on the list. You know, maybe it's like I was seven years old and mom forgot to pick me up from dance class or, you know, fourth grade, these girls were really mean to me and picked on me. But those things shape our experience depending on how much we let them affect us or how much we, you know, um, attach to it at the time. So it might seem silly, but, you know, to a a 30-something-year-old reprocessing, but it wasn't silly to, you know, the nine-year-old that experienced it. And that's all what it comes down to, you know, is like, how did it shape and form your perspective? Oh, yeah. So would you say that uh, EMDR itself it would work by itself or do you think you'd have to do other therapies with it or is it kind of is it kind of a combination of the combination of two therapies in itself? It's so powerful on its own. I mean, it, it, it's so powerful on its own. You could come in and just jump into EMDR and, and see, I mean, fantastic results, but it's not what I recommend. You know, I mean, the therapeutic relationship is important. So developing a strong therapeutic relationship with your therapist um, is key. And, and, you know, even when I'm doing EMDR with clients were also mixing and matching in the sense of doing some coaching and working on some of the behavioral stuff, maybe, you know, getting them to get outside, socialize, exercise, eat better, those kind of things. Um, And then maybe we're also processing things that happened in their week, you know, to help them be able to regulate better so that they can even deep dive further back into the past. So, while you might be technically kind of focusing on EMDR as your treatment in in my approach, like I said, holistic and and looking at the full circle, the big picture there, it's impossible not for me not to like throw in those other things and and hit every area to so that they're feeling their best in every way, you know, because if you if you only focus on EMDR and which is huge and important, you know, you're clearing out past traumas. But you eat at, you know, McDonald's or Bebop's every single day and you're drinking, you know, a 12 pack every night and you sleep only two hours a night, you will not feel better. (laughs) You just will not feel good. Like we have to like hit every area. Oh, yeah, that that makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, Crap, I just um, 
Would you say that, um, just kind of a curious question, and this one may be a little bit harder because I didn't, one, I didn't prep you with this question. <laughs> I should have. Um, like, statistically, is EMDR, like, more effective than other treatments, or are they all kind of fall in the same category, and, or depends on the person? I think that I would have to look that up, you know, so I wouldn't want to give any false yeah. information out there. It is evidence-based, you know, so, I mean, we, we have studies and we have proof that have shown the positive progress and results from it. Um, I can tell you statistically in my own practice, I have never seen a therapy that has ever had this much success and progress so quickly with any of my clients. It's, it's by far the leader in my practice. I can tell you that. I've, I've honestly, I've never heard anything bad about it. And I've just, because of me and my issues, I have been so reluctant to even try. I, I want to. But then I'm like scared that I'm going to discover something like real deep and it's just going to mess me up again. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that fear. I mean, I've even had that fear as a therapist. I've avoided my own therapy. I've avoided my own EMDR because it's it's it, I could know it's good for me. But that doesn't mean like, you know, little me isn't like really frightened and afraid to go there. Like it's hard work. It's scary to jump into the things that are painful or we don't like about ourselves, whatever it may be. But it's that idea that, you know, um, you put in the hard work and you get the payoff and it, it's, it's way better, you know, um, delayed gratification return on that. But it is scary and it is hard to jump in. Um, a lot of people do have that fear that, you know, we're going to unlock something that they don't they they don't know what that might be I would say that's extremely rare um I've had I've had in all my years of practice with EMDR I've only had one client bring up a suppressed memory um during EMDR and I've, I've done it so much so one out of you know I don't know hundreds you know clients it's it's not likely that there's something down there that would resurface that you don't know about but it's likely that you like oh I kind of forgot about that or oh like this doesn't I don't like to think about this stuff it's it's yucky you know oh, but yeah. definitely a common fear I'm pretty sure. Um, so I, I just, where I had that blank spot just a minute ago, I thought about what I was going to say and that I lost. Okay. So we were, you were talking about the EMDR, how it's, and other therapies, how it's kind of, you know, if you, you don't want to just jump into one because it is so kind of just strong of a therapy itself. And mm -hmm. I kind of refer to, tend to tell people about like their mental health journeys in itself that you can't expect to repair it all in one day. Mm -hmm. And this is the one piece of advice my dad had given me about, and believe it or not, it was actually about a construction thing, but because uh, he's a contractor. Mm -hmm. And he said, you can't level a house in one day. It's taken 30 years to get out of level. Yeah. So you can't expect to level it all in, level it all in one day without doing some damage. So you need yeah. to take your time and do it over a few weeks. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and it came across in my own head. I'd say about a year ago that, that that statement had resurfaced on my own mental health journey. I'm like, wow, he was talking about a house. But yeah. That applies to a lot of things in life. So many things. And it, yes, that is definitely something that I'm constantly reminding my clients is that like, 
we don't just decide one day, I want to be this person, this kind of person, this type of person, and then click our fingers and bam, we're that kind of person. We have to build that person. We have to create that person. And that takes time. It's like the idea of, of New Year's resolutions, you know, like people think, okay, you know, the end of the December, I'm going to be this person, but starting January 1st, I'm going to be a whole new person. And it's going to be something that I, I that's really hard to do. And I'm just going to be able to do it overnight magically. Like those, yeah. they, they rarely stick. Most new year's resolutions people do for about a week or two. And then that's that, you know, um, the new year's gym rats. Yeah. Those are, yeah, those are the exactly, best. exactly. But it, so I really, really encourage the baby steps because every little choice that you make to do something good for yourself every single day builds upon itself each and every day. And so, you know, it might feel little to this day or this week or this month, but in six months, it could feel pretty darn big and good. And then in a year, you can be in a totally different place. I just had another question that I thought of, and it, it's actually from another interview conversation that I have um, have saved in my list. Um, so secondary trauma, and I'm totally jumping to a different thing, but uh, secondary trauma is kind of a big thing um, as far as like transferring it to your, say, your kids or your loved ones of some sort because that you spend your time around. How, how can you uh, avoid doing that? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, the, the best way. I don't think you can entirely avoid it because we're human and our stuff gets projected onto others and, and people feel it, whether they hear it or energetically, they feel the vibes from us. Right. Um, I, I don't think it's completely unavoidable, but the best way that you're not going to pass trauma onto somebody else is to heal yourself, right? So, I mean, I, I think of my children in particular, like, you know, we sit here and we fear how to be the best parent, the best mom. Oh, if I said this or did this, how's that going to affect them down the line? The best way parent that we can be and and the best way that we can treat them is to be healthy and happy and whole ourselves and lead by example so that they see that and they feel that you know so but i mean we cannot be these perfect human beings that don't pass anything along we can just try to be accountable for it and do something about it yeah, see, that's that's exactly where that that conversation kind of came from. Was <laughs> it was a parenting conversa- conversation because there are a lot of people that have these traumas that have kids, and I know it yeah. scares the crap out of me transferring it off onto my kids. And I'm like, ah. so I try to do it as peacefully and calmly as possible, but it gets hard sometimes. Yeah, you can you can look up you know like things like generational trauma, and so we can feel and experience and and do things or even, you know, genetics are altered in a certain way because of traumas that like our grandparents, our great grandparents have been through. If you look at like survivors of of the Holocaust and and, and their children and so on, um, there are studies done on generational trauma. It's a thing. And it takes a lot of work for somebody to step up and say, you know, the generational trauma stops here, you know, the patterns stop here, I'm going to do something about it, because that's a lot of buildup. And that's a lot of things being passed down. 
it takes a lot of strength and courage to face that and, and say, I'm going to do something about it. But man, it makes a, a world of difference for the individual, for the family, for everybody. Absolutely. Um, all right. So back on the, the, the self-sabotage, um, this is kind of a multi-stage question. So I'm going to ask them kind of one at a time, I guess. Um, so a lot of people have, have a problem with like, say fear dictating how they live their personal life and it kind of keeps them from making their goals. I mean, is there anything you could recommend to help them kind of say open up and, and even have the want to try to try to achieve their goals and overcome yeah. that fear? Yep. EMDR. <laughs> Because the fear is coming from a belief system, right? Something like, I can't succeed. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure, whatever it may be. The fear is coming from a belief system that you develop somewhere along the way. You you know, you experienced something, you saw something, you heard something, and now you have this fear around it. We can challenge and we can change those belief systems. So, if you think differently, I'm not saying that the fear entirely goes away, but you know, a little bit of fear is healthy, um, you know, but in a little bit of anxiety is healthy, but we, we want to at least clear enough of it out. So it doesn't keep us, like you said, from, from moving forward and, and at least trying for those dreams and those goals. But so long as I think negatively, it's either going to keep me from succeeding. It's going to hold me back or just keep me stuck entirely. So, you know, when you examine fear, well, what does that even mean? What's the belief behind it? Absolutely. So the power of positivity does actually work. Yes. And I know that I, and there is that, you know, that the pop term right now is toxic positivity. And I understand <laughs> that, right? Like just thinking positive alone. I mean, it, it's helpful. Thinking positive thoughts is absolutely helpful, but where it becomes toxic is if we are saying, oh, this is negative or hard or painful, so I don't want to think it, so I'm just going to pretend things are rainbows and butterflies, and we're, we're denying, you know, um, some, some pain points that we need to work on, that we need to actually face and sit with and explore and heal and process through. That's where, you know, positive thoughts and toxic positivity become an issue. But I mean, if you're not ignoring or suppressing your stuff, your issues, then the more positive you think, the better, you know, and gratitude in particular, gratitude takes us a long way in our mindset. I know that blindly following pretty much anything, be it an emotion or an action, is pretty harmful in itself anyway. So definitely, right. you can, there's nothing wrong with being positive, but you need to be open and realize that, hey, not everything is sunshines and rainbows. Yes, I tend to look at it like if we're extreme on one side or the other in anything, we might be entering kind of the red zone, a dangerous territory if we're, you know, extreme. Usually there's a middle ground with most things that are just a little more well-balanced and healthy for us. I was actually referred to as a positive cynic. My girlfriend called me a positive <laughs> cynic. I had to actually look it up. I was like, wait a second, what the heck is a positive cynic? And it makes sense because I, I tend to lean more towards the positive side, but I'm still cynical. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's I mean, a balance. I, 
Yeah, and that's what I said. I said, well, I'm at least just being realistic here. <laughs> Not everything yeah. be positive. Right. Um, so not only are you doing therapy for people, you're actually, you've stepped out farther and you've written a book. Yeah. And this isn't some Tony Robbins type book, right? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I wrote that joke like an hour ago. I swear to God, I had to use it. I like it. <laughs> um, so run us through basically what your, your book is about. Yeah, I can do that. So um, the book ended up, it didn't really start out as a book. Um, it just kind of started out as like jotting some basics down and maybe it was going to be a free ebook, but um, it kind of evolved. So the book was like really um, a spilling out of all of the things that I have found myself repeating, you know, over the last decade or and more over you know with my clients over and over again no matter what they were coming here to see me for um I'm, I'm repeating these same things for for everybody no matter what issue they're working on and so it was a spilling out of that so you know the book kind of walks through what the assessment process is like with me whether you're coming for therapy or coaching or both or whatever um what what kind of things that I'm looking for, how I evaluate or assess your life, where you're at, what's going on, how we identify what's the real problem, because a lot of times what people come into therapy for isn't actually the real problem. It's the surface level, the identified problem, but the real problem is generally a little lower, a little deeper. Um, and so it walks through my my process. It walks through my holistic approach. It, it walks through the environments that I scan and the questions that I ask and, and what I want to know. And then um, looks at mind, body, spirit. And then it and then it goes it steps into a little bit what it's like to then go into the deeper dive, like the EMDR stuff and the negative belief systems and starting to walk into that. So I really think that it is ultimately kind of a, a, a nice stepping stone for somebody that's kind of exploring and they're saying, yeah, I got some things I want to work on and, and, you know, starting with some self-help and then kind of looking at the basics, it's getting that basic well-being in that strong foundation. And then at the end, it's, it's an occur and encouraging to, get in to talk to somebody, professional help, you know, have someone assist you with some of those deeper level things, not because they have all the answers, but because they can help guide you to your own answers. I think that we're all the experts on ourselves. We all have our own answers. We just don't always know how to get there because we're in the middle of it. You know, it's, it's not as easy to see clearly when you're in the middle of the storm, as opposed to somebody that's on the outside looking in. And so it's that stepping stone from, okay, I know I got some things to work on. I know I could, you know, improve some things in my life, feel better, clear some things out, and then actually getting in to get some help and help transition from thinking about it to doing it. Um, and it comes out on Amazon on October 5th. That is awesome. And, you know, that that is actually a really good concept, too, because I uh, know a lot of people's fear of going in to get help is based in they don't know exactly what to expect. Like, right. I mean, people, 
and I even I thought this. I'm not I'm not gonna say I wasn't guilty of it at one point, but I was worried that the therapist might be judgy. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, I've had good therapists and I've had bad, yeah. and it's just a matter of finding that middle ground, and find somebody that you can actually work with that your personality meshes really well with, and and they can actually help. Yes, it's finding the right fit for you. So I definitely, yeah, encourage people to do some research or shop around. And and I know that's not an easy thing to do, you know, shopping around with therapists, but it's important to find the right fit for you. I mean, trust and, and feeling comfortable is crucial to the therapeutic process. And then, you know, my clients are the strongest people I know because it is not easy to to book that first appointment. And then it's not easy to walk in the the building or, you know, if you're doing virtual, get on the computer that first day because of all the fears, right? But oftentimes that's some of the hardest part of it. And then not that digging through our own stuff isn't hard too, it is hard, but um, pushing past that initial fear is is really hard, but it, it definitely pays off. And I think that the world, our society, you know, people, you know, publicly celebrities are starting to speak up more about mental health, which is fantastic. And I hope it keeps going that way more and more. It's it's great shift, but it, it's still, even if people are talking about it or thinking about it more, it doesn't mean that fear isn't still there of making that, you know, taking that first step. So yeah, I hope it helps someone along that path. That, that new shift with the popularity of these things kind of brings the cynic out in me on that, honestly. <laughs> sure. like, all right, is it a fad thing and you're going to forget about it in six months? Because, I mean, this yeah. is kind of important. Right, and I hope not. I hope not, too, because it's, it's a difficult issue. And, I mean, people need help to address it and need, need to be encouraged. And there's been enough people ignoring it for long enough that and just telling people that, oh, get over it. You can't get over these things. Yeah. sometimes you need help right right and I mean like I said as a therapist myself like it, you know we it's great that we start talking about it but it I'm sure a lot of people can relate like as a therapist myself I talked about getting into my own therapy for years like I kid you not years before I actually did it you know or it's like how we'll say like, yeah, I'm going to start going to the gym and two years has passed by and I haven't gotten in the gym or something. You know, we can talk about something for, for a long time before we actually do anything about it. So, you know, talking about it is a great start, but yeah, we got a long ways to go. Now I would say for the stubborn people there, like I was, um, we can, yes, you can watch a YouTube video and figure out, a, out how to fix some small things on your car, but it doesn't mean you're a mechanic. So <laughs> right. <laughs> you need to go get some help on occasion. And even if it's not all the time, and for veterans that have have the VA system, it's not always going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And if that do- doctor you're dealing with isn't what you you need, check the private sector. It Yeah, it's going to cost a little bit more money, but it may be worth it. I've had to do it, and yeah. I, got, I happened to get lucky and fell into a, a really good VA doctor. Oh, good. And it's, it's rare in my experience, but it, it can be done. And if not, try going private sector, whatever it takes to get that help. It's yeah. worth the money, it's worth the time. 
Right. It, it, you know, we think about it like health insurance, like most of us aren't going to do surgery on ourselves. Right. So <laughs> we want to we want to find a good doctor and we want to we want to get help in that sense. And it's it's just like it, we, we need that shift to be as preventative and on top of our mental health as, as oftentimes we will be on our physical health. Now, I know there's some of us that avoid all of it, but definitely important. Absolutely. Um, so if you had one piece of advice as we wind down for the, for the people struggling, one piece of advice to kind of keep them pushing a little bit, what, what do you think you could, you would say? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think I'm torn between, I mean, nothing we haven't already said, but either really be okay with the baby steps you know, starting out small, taking the baby steps, whether that's like today, I'm just going for a walk or today I'm going to try to eat less fast foods. Um, or today I'm going to reach out to a friend, all of the little baby steps, just start there or the ask for help, you know, make that appointment, ask for help. And, you know, cause a lot of times we're sitting here when we ask for help saying, man, I wish I would have addressed that three years ago. Oh, you know what? We forgot to get, get the title of your book. Um, if you want to do tell everybody the title of your book and if you have any website stuff that you want to push, um, to maybe that might get somebody some help or just whatever, you know, to promote yeah. the book, to shoot that out right now yeah the book the title of the book is therapize yourself um therapy is not a real word but it's stuck with me for a long time um therapize yourself is the title of the book um my website is carryleaf.com c-a-r-r-i-e-l-e-a-f.com you can find um, a lot of my information there or carryleaf coaching on instagram so any of those places and um, love to hear feedback from people and, and hopefully the book touches at least one person in a helpful way. And yeah, thanks for letting me share that. Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I almost completely forgot to have you tell, tell me the book title. I was like, oh, me good. Too. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to close out with, um, just remember that every wake up is a victory. All you have to do is keep pushing forward. Try to smile a little bit. Try to be a light for somebody else that might be in the darkness. You never know how much that little bit of light can spark somebody else's day and inspire them to be a better person. Thank you guys for listening. Carrie, thank you for being on. Thank you have for having me. It's been fun. And I will see you next time. <laughs>